Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Innovating Church podcast, the podcast of church innovations. Uh, today with me is uh, Pat Kieford, and our guest is the Reverend Dr. Sabrina Muller, who has written a book entitled Lived Theology. She is at the Center of Church Development in the University of Switzerland in Zurich. Welcome, Sabrina. We're so glad that you're with us today and that you're here to talk about this um, important book. But before we begin, um, Pat, will you pray for us? The Lord be with you all. And also with you. Gracious God, send your Holy Spirit to this conversation that uh, we might really listen to what Sabrina has to teach us, that we might share uh, the powerful insights she brings and be faithful to your spirit's guidance through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Sabrina, thank you again for being with us today and um, talking with us about your book, Lived Theology. Uh, you begin your book by talking about uh, the priesthood of all believers, um, what you refer to after that as the common priesthood. And you uh, contrast that uh, with volunteerism or volunteering. Um, I'm wondering if you could... Uh, Tell us about what the common priesthood is and how that differs um, from volunteering, both in the church and in the world. Mm -hmm. Yes, sure. Just to know, I mean, I'm here with a Swiss mindset. So when I talk about those topics, but um, so as a, as a reformed theologian and pastor, the common priesthood, or the priesthood of all believers is a very uh, important topic. But often it's only talked about it in church history. And what my point was in the book that I wanted to make is that um, people in church, lay people or priests, they all. And it is a difference if we talk about um, priests, or common or the common priesthood, or just volunteers, because volunteers is we, we just volunteer and we do the things and we do them gladly. But that the common priesthood is a spiritual dimension and a theological dimension. So um, what we do is in the context of, of um, God and the Holy Spirit, we are, we are called to do this, whatever it is then, whatever it is that we do that kind of volunteerism, but volunteerism or volu being a volunteer is only the act and it flows out of this um, um, knowledge and feeling of being being um, one of those priests in, in the whole body of Christ. And what I would say, it, it makes a huge difference for the church and, and for um, congregations. If you only have volunteers or you, if you have really people who understand, understand that they are part of the priesthood of all believers. Um, and in this case, that they are theologians Because you connect it to discipleship in your book. 
And I think that's really important. Could you say, could you talk about that connection? Um, that this theological, that this, that the common priesthood, this priesthood of all believers, isn't just sort of an idea of the past that we um, reflect back on in the Reformation, from the Reformation, but that it is um, really a, a central idea to discipleship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it is actually the core of discipleship. So discipleship isn't so much on how, how not the first question is not how do we live and what do we do ethically or what's our morality? Like it's not the do's and the don'ts. But discipleship is first to grow into this into this um, knowledge of of being being a priest. And what's very important is for this we don't need like when you look at the Old Testament, you you always had like God and you had the prophets or the priests where God talked and they talked to the people. But this isn't the case anymore. We are directly connected to to God, and so. Um, what we do and how we live is always um, as well a theological expression. My point is um, that this has to come together, what we do, how we live, but as well with our theological, um, not only knowledge, but like knowing that we are theological beings in this priesthood and that that we are sent to the world and sent to the church uh, so mm-hmm. both as priests and and that and that means we, we can't just be consumers in a church and listen to what a pastor says this is not what we are called to and um discipleship is not sitting on a bench or in a chair and listen to listen to pastors discipleship is to become this priest in the world and and to be aware of your own theology and as well to be transformed to be in discourses in dialogue with other people about this so it's about being and awareness Mm -hmm. so how So how important do you think it is when you think about the church in your own context, but also the church in the world, the church around the world, how important is it for us as the body of Christ to reclaim this notion of the common priesthood? I would say it's central because when we look at um, like church development plans and models and everything, it's often you do this, or in my context, you make better worship services or whatever. But actually, I would say if we want to be the body of Christ in the world, it's about um, as well theological literacy. We, We need to know what we believe, why we believe, we need to be open for transformation and as well be open to to, um, theologically talk about it. And what I observe often, so I'm a researcher, but a qualitatively researcher that's often in the field and I served as a pastor for six years and as a youth pastor for 12 years. And what I've experienced often is that you have people there and they just say what a youth pastor or a pastor says, or they don't they don't know or not able to as well reflect what they believe. 
And um, and the point that I make or that I see is that people are not able to talk about their faith, for example. They're just able to talk about do's and don'ts, for example, mm-hmm. or to, to say what a pastor said, maybe on a Sunday, whatever. Mm-hmm. But this is not what I... Um, what I write about, about the common priesthood and about lived theology of all the people. And with lived theology, very important, I include ordained people because we all have a lived theology and that doesn't differ much from if you're ordained or not. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you make a really important distinction in your, in your book uh, between ordained clergy and the common um, priesthood, not diminishing either one. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if you'd talk about that distinction and the necessity of both Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to the work of the church and um, the work of the Mm -hmm. kingdom. Yeah, the distinction I make is that the the pastor is um, kind of hired or called by a church. It depends on the denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the often like the visible face face of the church and I'm from a background where you still have state churches mm-hmm. so it's a little bit the face of the church um, as well as a state represent, representative um, but I don't make theological distinctions there mm-hmm. I say an ordained people yeah she or he, he studied theology I hope he he or she learned to reflect on their own theology and on the practice. Um, But there isn't this distinction about being a priest or being part of the common priesthood. And that's why I as well would say the core task of an ordained person is the empowerment of the common priesthood. It's to get along those people it's, it's to encourage them. It's really an empowerment um, to grow into the priesthood, but as well to grow into um, your own lived theology and in, into um, reflect and be able to see the productivity of theology, for example, because it's here. You, it's, especially in the digital, it's visible how productive people are. They are theological productive and what's it this is this is actually our material we have to work with as researchers but as well with pastors and with uh, as churches mm-hmm. yeah you um that term th- lived theology um could you tell us a little bit more about how you understand that um because you have a very sort of nuanced and particular way Um, of understanding that as it relates to the common priesthood. Um, And you mentioned already um, online and social media and and that venue. Um, And secondly, uh, could you talk about um, how lived theology is different from lived faith or lived religion? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) That was the distinction that was so important to me. I reflected a lot on those terms. And um, in, in research and in my context, often they said, well, what, what you're doing is researching lived faith. And some other people said, well, it's lived religion. And I thought a lot about this. It was a huge question for me. What am I talking about, actually? And the, 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 
difference, maybe I start with the difference first, is that often when you talk about lift faith, it's just your everyday lift faith, just what you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so often you, you're not very aware of it. You, you haven't reflected on it. And you're not able to articulate it. So for me, the, the, exp- the articulation and the reflection is very important. And this is the same with um, lived religion. It, it depends on the context, but in the continental Europe co- European context, lived religion is often just, I just have a feeling of, oh, I can go to a museum and feel like, oh, this is so spiritual. And this is all called lived religion. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is, no, it, it's much more. We have to be precise with those terms. Mm-hmm. Lift faith is okay, lift religion. But what I'm interested in is the capacity of people being theologians. And this is as well the point that I make. So when you, when you talk about lift theology, it's, it's um, not only what you... Uh, what you believe, your lived faith, but it's the capacity or the possibility to reflect on this and to articulate it and to bring it into a discourse with public. And public is a term that I use very openly, but it means public can be just the other person. It can be a person from another religion. It can be often what we see on Twitter or on Facebook, on Instagram. So that I'm able to articulate it publicly. And what I see with the like digitalization is that this just starts happening more and more again. Mm-hmm. People create their own theology. And um, especially, maybe as well in your context, but in my context too, theology was always something that was, it, it belongs to the universities. And then as well, it belongs to the churches. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's a deductive term to tell people how it works, what they, what they ha- have to believe. It's a term that you learn at university. What's the history of theology? What's the method? Mm-hmm. And what I would say is what we see, the phenomenon we have now is that it's not a deductive term anymore. It's an inductive. It grows from... Um, from the people in the everyday life it, you can see it, as I said in social media and so on mm-hmm. and um, so um, we, we need to reflect maybe as well anew about what is theology mm-hmm. and um, yeah and take it serious so what does that look like then in the local in the local parish um, how, you know, we, we talk sort of, there's the, there's the online piece, there's the social media piece, but what does that look like in an actual um, community? Mm-hmm. Not, that, not that social media can't be a community, but in, in, in that face-to-face, um, in-person community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say social media is as well church and communities, but I know what you mean. Let me tell you a story because I still love to work with congregations. So from time to time, I work with congregations. So I was as working with a with church in um, like it's more a rural part of Switzerland, mm-hmm. and I had 
40 people in this room and was asked to talk about empowerment and the common priesthood. And I started and I started and said, showed them pictures, very simple and said, see, as I said, there was is God and then we had the prophets and the priests and then the people, but this isn't anymore. You're responsible. This means you're responsible for being church. You cannot delegate this responsibility to a pastor. And they were like, they really looked at me very puzzled. And then in the break, I had like six old or elderly men around me. I was like, I don't know why I came today. Because when I take this really serious, I, I have to see church different and i have mm. to see my position in in the church different and it means i have to take responsibility i'm not longer the person who says this was a good sermon or not a good sermon or this my church is doing this good or mm. not good it is i'm the church and we are the church and this is one of the points yeah so people grow into the um awareness of we we are the church and what the congregation looks like is our responsibility mm. and this is one of the huge differences mm. and um it's i mean you're a specialist too and pet too but you can go through processes with this congregation but often it's not so easy because they have to say goodbye to um sometimes being in a very comfortable positions, a position, or pastors have to say goodbye to the position of I, I'm the authority. I know what theology is because often you you have to dive together with the congregation as a pastor into a new process of discovering what does. Um, our congregational theology looks like and our lived theology as a congregation but as well as individuals mm -hmm. mm. Wow. and in the end i mean what i want to say is we when we are aware that we're not just volunteers but like in this common priesthood our our life and how we live is um um like church is much more than just on a Sunday morning. And we are there with a different authority in our working places and in our um, everyday life. Not as hierarchically, not seen as hierarchically, but seen like in a spiritual way. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say this makes, makes a huge difference um, on how you are church and congregation in the end. Mm -hmm. for sure wow um pat did you I, I don't know if you had any questions i wanted to ask about um the the fresh expressions movement because that's not something that i am necessarily familiar with um but i didn't know pat if you had other you had questions uh, for uh, actually that's where i wanted to start one oh, of the things great. that makes uh, sabrina's work uh, really unique uh, uh, in my experience uh, in Christian theology, uh, whether it's North America or uh, Europe or even in the two-thirds world where I work is here. She is a theologian who has taken a look uh, in social scientific 
the responsible terms, as she said, she is a uh, uh, qualitative analytic social scientist. Um, and she has uh, become an expert, I would say, certainly a world uh, class expert on the fresh expressions movement. Now, for some people in North America, who, who might know uh, the English uh, church, either Anglican or Episcopal. Um, that is a movement particularly rooted in uh, the British Isles. Uh, and what, what is to me particularly interesting about uh, the, the way in which Sabrina is repositioning the task of practical theology is not just that she is bringing in the social sciences in a very concrete, real way, but she is doing so uh, in a very practical matter of trying to understand uh, the uh, uh, what the one liberation theologian Leonardo Boff called uh, ecclesiogenesis, the, the birthing of church. We've not looked at that, frankly, in our, in our uh, theological analysis. Uh, we've always assumed there is a church, an inherited church, and we may plant churches or we may grow churches or whatever, but we don't uh, really take seriously that God uh, creates churches where there hasn't been. And the Fresh Expressions movement is a wonderful place to explore ecclesiogenesis. Uh, and, and I, and I want to secondly note that uh, Sabrina's work ties this all to a deep commitment to the emancipatory and liberative power of the, uh, the initial insights of uh, the Protestant Reformation uh, around this notion of the common priesthood of all believers. So um, uh, for our audience, here, here is someone in this book will give you a chance to, to learn not just uh, what is really cool and preachable, or some of the common sense, 10 easy ways to do this or that, that has come out of the fresh expressions movement. And I'm all in favor of all those. I, I, I like, you know, best practices and 10 easy things to do, et cetera. I'm not opposed to always having to do hard things, but what she's done is actually help us come to understand uh, ecclesiogenesis, how the church gets birth in a post-industrial, uh, post-modern culture like Great Britain. Uh, a big deal, uh, <laughs> a really big deal. So here's my question. That was a long introduction and, and our audience knows me well enough to know that uh, I will often do that. But my question is, uh, what, brought you to the interest in the Fresh Expressions movement, 
number one, it's it's not real common in Zurich, uh, and uh, almost no one in the German-speaking <laughs> academy is looking to understand the fresh expressions movement. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm, you're not going to get much on that. Maybe up at the, uh, up with uh, Mikael uh, Herbst and crowd uh, up in in uh, West Pomeran, but there is what got what caught your imagination, and why look there to study lived theology? I just think that's really interesting. <laughs> Well, those are three questions or, or more, but <laughs> um, maybe I was, since, since I'm quite young, I was always, I loved field study. So even as a student, I traveled to the US and just worked in a mega church just because I wanted to know. But what I um, was got interested in was more the small churches, the like first I studied emerging church a little bit. And then what I figured out is there is a movement in a state church. There is still, I mean, the Church of England is still a state church. and But there is something happening and something changing. And um, I just, I just went really nice and talked to English bishops first and was like, hey, I'm a PhD student. I mean, this was this was 10 years ago. I studied fresh expression since 2010, so 11 years actually. And I said, I'm PhD students. I'm very interested in fresh expressions. Can you help me? And at the beginning, it was really like a jungle because they themselves haven't systematized anything. There were nearly no books. And um, what got me interested is how is it possible in a long-standing church that new churches actually emerge. How can you, and what kind of church are those? And um, how do they look? What's the tradition? Do they still fit in, in this church? And I did a couple of years of field research. I've visited hundreds of fresh expressions. I've spent around six months there. And I got, I was touched more and more by seeing how people just said, well, we are in the city center of London, and this is what does being church mean for those people here? Or I was on a, um, a skateboard park, and they asked, What does it mean to be church in a skateboard park? And um, my experience as a pastor was like when I do work for my congregation, even in the state church, nine tenths of my time go into my congregation, my core community, not even my members, but my core communities of three, 400 people. That was like, but church, our, um, our mission isn't to be just this nice little group who likes each, each other. Our mission is different. It means what does it mean to be church in the shopping mall, on the skateboard park or wherever in the, in the coffee? And that was actually the start when I, I had this deep um, feeling to say church is more than what we just live in this congregational mindset or in the state church mindset or in this dominational mindset. doesn't matter because we're often just in those mindsets. 
and we often look at um, those congregations. So this, and this is why I think the priesthood of all believers is so important. What we are as, as a church, as a congregation is a gift for the world. And it's not to be just nice and comfortable there. And something that I discovered that seemed very, um, for me, very interesting in Mike's sense, but it isn't an easy three-step model, is when you bring um, your tradition, a church tradition, in a really honest dialogue with context, then you get real innovation. And an honest dialogue really means you, you have to be open to be as well transformed in your theology. And I talked to many, many pioneers and fresh expression practitioners, and they said from this fresh expression journey, probably the people, the person who, who was transformed more, more and most was, was myself. My theology transformed, the people transformed me. They learned, they taught me to see um, theology through different eyes, to see church through different eyes. So it always means we, we don't, it even means we often we don't know what church is. We always have those mindsets. And this is what I experience often when I do church consultation, that know what church is. And what I say is when you honestly bring your tradition in a, into a dialogue with context, it changes as well your understanding of church. And this is ecclesial innovation. Yeah. I, I want to uh, underline uh, something you said, because I do think it's, um, on the one hand, unremarkable, and on the other hand, astounding. Your claim is if you bring your own tradition to an honest, conversation with your context, uh, the result is a church innovation. Could I summarize it that way? Yes, exactly. And, and that's, of course, the risk of, of uh, Church Innovations Institute. Um, it's, it's precisely what we've been committed to for over 30 years. And the, the use of research is part of the way you have an honest conversation, right? Mm -hmm. It, it mm -hmm. keeps uh, uh, both sides of the conversation honest with themselves and with one another. There's another thing that I, I, I want to emphasize in what you said, because I think it's, it's both very powerful. It's quite beautiful, frankly. And that is this is emancipatory. This is freeing. This is empowering. This is uh, uh, theology as an emancipatory activity for the whole people of God. And what you're doing in your book, Lived Theology, is um, both providing a, an honest uh, uh, wissenschaftlich, um, um, <laughs> uh, scientifically responsible. I don't know what the English translation is, but you're showing this can be intellectually respectable work, and yet it can be the work of ordinary people. 
and not not only can it be, it must be the work of ordinary people. And, and that one of the core uh, tasks of being church is liberating people to do their own theology. And at root of that, and I think this is the truly beautiful thing, is your confidence that they have an experience of God, they have a relationship with God, uh, that critical theological reflection uh, uh, is demanded. Am I right about that? And I'd like to have you talk a bit more about that because you actually go into describing the process in the book. It's to me uh, a part of the part of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you mean that process with religious experience, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is actually right. a research I'm just finishing up. It's a five-year research I'm just finishing up today and uh, not today, this in this month. And it was a research on religious experiencing experiences of, of young urban people. And what I see, and this is what I put as well in this book, is that um, today often before you get to a point where you have like lived faith or lived, um, lived theology, there are religious experiences. And we don't have to often, we don't have to talk about conversion experiences because it's not what I mean. But when you ask, I did a study with young people in this, I have data from the States, LA, from Germany and Switzerland. And, um, and I analyzed this. And when you, when you look, what they do is they have those um religious experiences and this is often the the, um, the basis of the lift theology and this is what I try to describe as well in the book really short the, the next book has 350 pages on this topic but and then where you see there are different dynamics like there, there are um dynamics of of the world that come of imprinting things you you've been taught but there are as well dynamics of of an experience with um with god that transforms often um not just like your experience of contingency and hope but it transforms your experience of how you view yourself how you view the other and how you view the world and often from those, people don't often talk about those experiences. This is what I figured out as well. It's not that often those are such deep experiences and you are shaped by those and people don't talk about those, but those make up what, um, of how you start to build your theology. And often those are liberating experiencing experiences. They make you open. Um, I would say that's often a, like a Christian perspective of hope. It doesn't change your life, your situation, but it gives you a new perspective on everything. And so what I would make pointer to is like Tillich says, the object of theology is found in the symbols of religious experiences. So when we talk about, um, talk about, church development, lift theology, common priesthoods, we, we cannot just look away from, from religious experiences because this is what shapes people. 
And this, I don't know if you wanted to know this, but this is one of the points that I make and that I say, those are crucial, crucial points when we talk about what comes after, when we talk about lift theology. And um, there as well, what, what I see in, in the, actually in the data I have now at the moment is that those young people, urban people or they, they are theologians. They are very, um, they can think, they can make sense of the experiences. They are really um, detailed about how they interpret the experiences, what they mean in their life, why and what they see different in their life. So, um, and what I see in, especially in German speaking practical theology, but as well in Anglo-Saxon, we often generalize yeah, there's religious experience, or we generalize just what they experience, but it's so much more detailed and it's so much more theological productive. If you really look into it and want to take it seriously. And that was again, that was something I um, observed in fresh expressions. Because in fresh expressions, 80% of the people are D or non-churched, so not people who have been in church before. And what I've observed was those highly reflective, theological, productive people who never studied theology. And I had a discussion with the um, Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, about this phenomenon for my, for my, for my research. And he, was the, he said, I'm not, I'm not afraid about the theology that emerges out of fresh expressions. Then, then what I experience is congregation who are highly competent, theological competent. And this is exactly what I've observed in those communities and especially with people who haven't been, haven't been part of a church before. And that was such a huge point. They often thought because they weren't used of church background and theology, they, they were really um, struggling, reflecting, thinking, making sense of experiences. And, and in discourse with each others and with ordained people, they, they um, evolved their theology and that often transformed their life. And um, this is again, when we think about Church development, we have to as well to think about the individual religiosity of people and their experiences. Uh, this, uh, I just find this extremely productive, uh, for, especially for our audience. Uh, if you take uh, the work that CI talks about in the six missional practices, one of the key practices is dwelling in the world. Uh, and there's a discipline of learning to listen others, uh, you know, that reasonably friendly person into free speech. And uh, what you've done, uh, Sabrina, in your research is in a disciplined manner, in a manner that's uh, socially, scientifically reproducible, is listen these young urban uh, persons uh, in several uh, uh, different countries in free speech. And what you've uncovered is what someone like Charles Taylor in his uh, magisterial work uh, uh, and the Gifford lectures, A Secular Age, 
talks about as the spiritual supernova of our time. And it is one of the great ironies of our time that you are more likely to have a uh, lived theological conversation, to use your terms, with someone who has nothing to do with the church. Uh, and all you have to do is just listen them into speech. And uh, they are doing uh, the, uh, the, this uh, groundwork of theology. Uh, and you have documented uh, in that research and in your uh, groundbreaking research as well in the Fresh Expressions movement that from my point of view, the evidence is rather substantial that the Holy Spirit is emancipating and liberating individuals uh, uh, both uh, outside and inside the church for the sake of the world and the church. And that's just, just exceedingly good news, to put it mildly. And you've documented that. I realize we're well past our time, and I've just barely begun to, to uh, uh, how, how shall I say, make clear or render explicit uh, the many debts we have for this fine work you've done. And in this book, uh, uh, introducing uh, and working very hard to create that place and space uh, of an intellectual discipline of lived theology. Uh, we're in great debt to you. I, I'm really thrilled that you've done this work and that you'd spend a little time with us uh, on this podcast. Thank you very much. I mean, um, it's really a joy to talk to you and to you, Rachel. So really thank you for the invitation and may i just make one short point what we see in live theology and in fresh expression is the critique that was always made about the Missio Dei. that's just a nice concept but here we see the practice of it and i think this is so important we have a practice to the missional understanding and the Missio Dei. but now i shut up because i could talk for hours about those topics <laughs> Well, thank you very much. And, and um, Sabrina. And they're certainly worthy of it. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, and Sabrina, ahead, Rachel. I was, well, I was just going to say, Sabrina's book will be available soon, right? Through Whipstaff. Mm -hmm. And um, when we uh, get ready to post this podcast, there will be information about how to, how to order her book as well as a discount through the publisher. So we thank you for that and uh, commend your work and this book to our listeners. So thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, this has been another episode of the uh, Innovating Church podcast. <laughs>